You never know when he's going to say something stupid, so just be ready. Oh, I'm ready. Crack it. You're supposed to wait until me. Welcome to Nerdy Thursday. <laughs> I didn't know what to do there. <laughs> do you see me just look over and be like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. I heard a crack. <laughs> We, should, we probably should have established an order here. We should have practiced the cracking with other beers before we did committed to this one. The world was big and cruel and cold and gray and sad. But Nerdy Thursday came up and made everybody glad. Because after that they had a whole lot more stuff to do with their minds. And they left the gray old square world behind. Welcome everybody to Nerdy Thursday. We're your two hosts, Sean and Mitch, and we're just a couple of guys that like beer, games, and nerd culture in general. My name is Sean, and with me, as always, is Mitch. What's up, dude? Not much, man. Just drinking beer. Nice. That sounds like a perfect Tuesday afternoon. You know, pulling back that curtain like I always do. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Actually, something cool did happen. What's that? Um, Yesterday, Caitlin and I went on a hike. Because I had the day off for Patriots Day. Yeah. And we decided that we're going to go see all the waterfalls in Berkshire County before fall hits. That's a lot. But you have yeah. until fall, so that's good. But, it's a long um, runway. We were walking back from the first one yesterday, and we just started hearing this <laughs> noise, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And then... <laughs> So then, as we got closer to the river, we saw this black thing floating and walking around the bank. So then we started to investigate that. The black thing And it was a bear cub. A bear cub? A tiny really? little bear cub stuck in the water. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah, so we Peace. kept looking at it and kept walking a little bit closer. And then Mama Bear took off down the hill. Uh-huh. Caitlin grabbed my shoulders and did the one, two, three, kind of like, we got to get the fuck out of here jump. (laughs) 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 I made fun of her the rest of the day. Dude, it's so crazy. I mean, you know as well as I do growing up in Henso, you see a a bear cub and you're like, fuck, let's go. Mama's somewhere around here and she's not going to be happy that we're hanging out. Yeah, but I had my camera, so I wanted to get a good picture. Did you? No, she wouldn't let me. <laughs> You're like that YouTuber that's going to die trying to get a, a selfie hanging off a cliff. <laughs> no, that'd be stupid. But it's Massachusetts. You just play dead so with a bear. You're going to die chasing a bear with a hatchet. Uh, it's a thing to do up here. Yeah, apparently. Especially, the news? Especially, in, <laughs> especially in North Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know something else that's rather uh, very interesting that's going on in your life right now, and it's something that... Uh, was very rather surprising to me. What's your new addiction? <laughs> I'm not talking about it. Why not? Because I don't want to. <laughs> Everybody, Mitch is addicted to Animal Crossing. How funny is that? After I'm not addicted. Week... I'm just playing a lot. You literally texted me earlier today, and you said, what time are we are we recording? And I said, I don't know, 6. And you said, I'd say 6.30. Because if uh, we don't set a time, I'm just going to play in Boomtown and never record. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think you're addicted. Nah. So that's a thing. 
I just I put it down to do this, didn't I? You did. But I think you only did it because it's like 6.15 and you're like, eh, I can get back to playing at like 7.30. Go back to yeah. Boomtown just in time to go, I don't know, visit some islands, get some fruit, and do some crazy shit. Yeah, I got 10,000 miles. Hey, that's what's up. You hustling over there. It's island uh, hopping day. I have been playing a shitload of Animal Crossing as well. Uh, I just started a new Facebook group for Kyle and my show, Animal Talking. So you can just type that in. Find the group. Join it. Uh, we're kind of exploding. We literally coordinated a turnip thing where every day we're sharing prices. And I'm about to become fucking rich in that game. I tell you what. Bought half a million dollars in turnips at $91 a turnip. On Sunday, they're selling for four hundred and like eighty dollars a turnip right now. Oh, let's go make it rain, baby! So, cool. if you're playing that game and you want to get in on uh, hanging out with the turnips or uh, talking about turnips and trading items and stuff like that, join that Facebook group. Uh, listen to our episodes. We're going on episode four, and it's a lot of fun. But. You guys may have heard three pops. Maybe you heard two because she jumped the gun. But we do half. have a guest with us today. Her name is T. T, what's up? Hey, party people. How's it going? I mean, it's going good with me. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Happy to be here. Yeah, Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, what's what's new in your life? Tell us tell us what's in the going on in the world of tea. The world of tea is not super exciting because I work from home normally, but uh, I would say the highlight of my past, what, couple weeks has been our beer mile, to be honest. So if anyone's looking for a good quarantine activity, I would highly recommend this beer mile activity. So Sean did it with me. He can attest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to go into a, like your experience on this real quick? I talked sure. about it last week. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, you obviously didn't listen. It's just a great yeah. way to balance your love of beer with your love of exercise. So you shotgun a beer, you run a 400, do that four times to make a mile, and then you spend the rest of the day feeling like a champion. So, <laughs> Mitch, why are you shaking your head over there? Uh, I'll just do the first part. <laughs> shotgun the beer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm not got half of it down. It took less than 10 minutes for us to do this whole entire activity, yeah. which is shotgunning four beers, yeah. running 1.11 miles. Yeah. It, it's not that crazy. Honestly, we drank more calories than we burned while running, so that was interesting. But Yeah, and we have a baseline now, so if you want to challenge us, our time was, I think, 9 minutes and 24 seconds. Yeah, total. So- and that includes, like, the pausing. Like, our mile, if, it, if you ignore the the stopping to shotgun it was only like seven and a half minutes so that was pretty it was a pretty quick pace it was chef kiss for sure yeah so we're looking forward to doing mimosa miles on sundays Mm -hmm. so that's going to be pretty sick and Uh, not just easter sundays every sunday okay well that makes sense now we're talking about beer we're talking about shotgunning beers and running miles i gotta ask you mitch what are you drinking i'm drinking uh, oh wait, hold on! It just started to come out. I'm oh. so used to that. <laughs> so used to the Bud Light. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a Liam Brew Tasty, a not nice barb. It's a New England double IPA that's seven point three percent from Proctor, Vermont. Oh, right on! Did you get that on a trip, or did you find it in a packy? Caitlin got it. Sick. You can see it's hazy. Look at that. That haze. is hazy as 
fuck, dude. That's what I like to see. And it's fantastic. I'm going to pour a little of this in for you. As you can see, I am drinking a hazy one as well. It's not as hazy as yours. Uh, n- not nearly as hazy, but... Um, this is a four and a half, though, for sure. Okay, that's four and a half. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I steal a little bit mm-hmm. of yours? I'm going to have... I'm going to go next. We'll have you go last. Okay, Perfect. sounds good. That is... Ugh. <laughs> sour. Like, that's way too much. Pucker up, baby. I am drinking a Lagunesis, uh Hazy Wonder. It is a 6%. It's an IPA. It's a, a 12-ounce. It's got some Sabro Citra, Cashmere, and Comet Hops. Um... It's, it's from Lagunitas. What's that? It's in Petaluma. Petaluma. Uh, California. Okay. Um, for a little handheld sipper, it's okay. It's pretty good. I would give this bad boy. Are you literally playing Animal Crossing right now? Are you fucking serious? Put that shit down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give this, I don't know, a 375. That's where I'm feeling today. Uh, it's it's pretty refreshing. It's, but it's not like one of those standout beers, you know what I mean? But uh, gotcha. it, it tastes pretty good. T, what are you, uh, what are you drinking? I'm sipping on a Weebtastic Passion Fruit Lychee Burst Session Sour from Wickedweed Brewing. So of note, Wickedweed is in Asheville, North Carolina, which I was at earlier this year. Uh, my friend moved down there and I helped her move. So we drove the 13 and some change hours down to Asheville and I got to try some of their beers in person. So it is a 4.5 percenter, pretty typical for a sour. It's a little low, but I don't mind sucking them back. So I'm pretty happy with that choice. Amen. What what are you uh, what are you giving this beer for this episode? This goes and and let you know, like this goes in your moment. Like this doesn't have to be a definitive for this beer. This is you take a sip and you're like, how does this how does this feel right now? Where would I rate this, Mitch? Has given 17 different ratings for Budweiser in the last three weeks. So, <laughs> what is the scale again? Out of five? Out of five. Yeah. It's like untapped. I would give it 4.2 lychee berries. 4.2? Yeah. Lychee berries? Yeah. You got to round up to a quarter. Okay, so 4.25 lychee berries. Okay, lychee yeah. berries. Beautiful. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> All right, Mitch. Do you want to get into this? We should get into this. Okay. Or do you want to? Or do you want to talk about your your? Uh, do you want to make your switch experience an episode coming up, or do you want to chat about that now? Well, we'll do it later. Do it later. Perfect. Um, we're taking a little bit of a curveball for people who have been listening for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking some heavy shit, <laughs> like emotional movies, stuff that we really like unanimously liked, and it's really hard to tear it apart. Uh, and honestly, like going into this, I thought that this was going to be a good movie because it's just, a, it's genuinely fun. I think, um, mm-hmm. at least that was my experience with this. I've seen, I saw this in theaters and, uh, we're talking about it today. Mitch, had you seen Knives Out before we decided to do this for the show? No. All right. Well, let me do a, a quick little synopsis of this as recommended by, uh, Dave Michaels of the Caped Podcasters. The storyline of this is coming from IMDb. When renowned crime novelist Harlan Thrombey is found dead at his estate after his 85th birthday, the inquisitive and debonair detective Benoit Blanc is mysteriously enlisted to investigate. 
From Harlan's dysfunctional family to his devoted staff, Blanc sifts through... That's a weird word. Sifts through a web of red herrings and self-serving lies to uncover the truth behind Harlan's untimely demise. All right, so that's basically the story of this movie, and obviously it gets deeper. Uh, this is very, from what I hear, very Clue-esque. I've never seen Clue. I've played the game, but I've never seen it. Um, but Mitch, like right off the top of your head, how'd you feel about this movie? Um, it was okay. It's an epic pause and sip combination. <laughs> I love how he, like, every time he does this to me, every time. Like, how was it? It's okay, and then just drinks so he doesn't have to say shit. It's like, all about the anticipation. That. You gotta think about it. It was just okay? Yeah, so I, it's okay. So, so I anticipate you having m- more gripes than I did, because I love this movie. Okay. So, that's great. T, what did you think about this movie? I loved it. I can't think of the last time I saw a movie once and enjoyed it and genuinely didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, you hate that beer, don't oh, you? Oh, God, I just... <laughs> drink that sour it's so gross let alone watching it for a second time and liking it just as much and i think that that can be attributed to the fact that i grew up reading nancy drew and the hardy boys so this macabre is kind of right up my alley so i enjoyed it i i also read a lot of mystery books uh growing up and like the whodunits so like this definitely was right up my alley um and i had a lot of fun uh, with it. Oh god, this beer is fucking trash. I'll take the leftovers. No, I'll drink that. Don't get the Rona. Uh, Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but this was definitely right up my alley, and uh, I really think that we should cover Clue soon, just because I feel like it's honestly a sin that I have not seen that movie, and that we should cover it soon. Sounds good, because that movie's awesome. Okay, so you like that movie and not this movie? I can't imagine they're much different. Which version did you like? You'll have to get into that later. Yeah. But you can answer that now. Which version? I can't. We're going to talk about Clue we, later. Well, we can fourth wall this. Nope. We, we, oh, okay. I hate well, that. That's, that's, I know you do, and I love fucking doing it. So, Mitch, you said it was okay. What do you yeah. got going on right off the top of your head as a point? For this movie. Oh. As everybody knows, we talk about things we like and things we don't like. So, let's get right into it. I wanted to smack Daniel Craig. Why? Why? That accent was awful. Okay, I do think it is a little weird to go from the shift of a classic, like, British gentleman to, like, a southern drawl. So, I agree. It was a little hard to get into that. I honestly, and to interject, I... So I'm so used to him with a British accent that while he was doing it, I was like, the fuck accent is he's doing? And it didn't it didn't dawn on me until somebody called it like some backwoods ass twang accent from the south that I'm like, oh, he's playing a southerner? Well, that's weird. Yeah, he's just fucking ripping off um, Frank from House of Cards. Okay, well, I don't I get draw that, that connection, but okay, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's Frank? Is that... Uh, it's Kevin Spacey. Oh, Space... K-Space. K-Space, got it. Uh, yeah, okay. the rapist. <laughs> okay, so I will say, if we're talking about Blanc as a character, it was a little hard to take him seriously at some points. Like, he's this well-renowned detective, and he has a write-up in the New York Times, and then there are some parts where he's like... 
singing in the car or he's talking about donuts. And I feel like it vacillates a lot between like how seriously you can take him. But then he kind of wraps it all up at the end and he like all these pieces together. So I wasn't really sure how to feel about him in general. But for me, those little quirks are what gave him personality. And it's so easy to uh, just take a detective and be like, well, that's what you should be doing all the time. And I love the scene where he was literally just listening to his iPhone. He had he had his, his headphones plugged into his iPhone. He's just like singing along in the car. And it's like, okay, well... He likes his music and he likes to sing. And it's like, I, I did like that character development to give him a little bit of individuality because I think it's so easy to get into the, the Sherlock Holmes-esque, um, I don't know, characteriz- characterization of someone who's a detective who's just con- constantly on that and they have zero personality. The only thing they know is the case and where they're going and what they're doing. And I, I honestly personally really love that. Uh, about the character i think that's a good point it does humanize him quite a bit because everyone has done that they've all we've all sung in our cars yeah. with our headphones a hundred percent yeah i do that every day i, know. I literally <laughs> dance in from my in front of my window over there for the cars sitting at the red light that wiggle though yeah the wiggle 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 do wiggle, the wiggle. wiggle wiggle yeah uh <laughs> he's like what are you talking about <laughs> no he knows he knows <laughs> that's why he's shaking his head with his eyes closed mitch what the uh, wh- what were your thoughts um, outside of the accent on Benoit Blanc? Uh, outside of the accent, uh, it was a good character. Um, I don't know really how I felt about the him just sitting in the back, be like doing the ding on the piano to do the first introduction. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it'd be interesting. Like immediately, I just thought he was mute for some reason. And that was, like, his indication to the other detectives that that's a lie or let's move on to something different. Sure. So he went from what he was saying, a pretty serious, like, just in the background kind of dude to leading the way. And I'm not going to say getting a little bit goofier as it went on because you already hit on that. Like, it humanized him. Yeah. And I think um, he he was very consistent through the entire movie in his character, and I really appreciate that about him. And the whole little ding in the background, like, I didn't... So I asked Steve when we were watching that again, I was like, hey, like, I, I don't know... Like, what's up with the ding? And what was up with the ding? So every time he hit that note, which I don't know which note it was, but that prompted the detective to ask what time people showed up to the party. So it was a prompt in some way. You weren't far off on that. Yeah. So it definitely had a point to the thing, but it was something, I don't know, it, like, I'm glad that you picked up on that, because every time it happened, I'm just like, I, I couldn't figure out if he was dinging because he realized something was a lie or something like that. But, mm. I mean, that's I think that's the great thing about a movie like this, where you are, like, you're not given the information that you need right off the bat, like to, oh, if he's going to ding, that means it's a lie. It's very open to interpretation. And I feel like watching this, I've seen this twice now. I saw it in theaters and we watched it again here. And I feel like you gain so much every time you watch it. Um, But even that was something that I was just like, wait, why is he dinging? Mm -hmm. I think everything is deliberate in this movie. There are very few things that are 
put there without intent. Yeah. And I will get into something that I really like about this movie is there is something something that I brought up uh, last night where while we were watching this was that there, it almost seems like there's a lot of throwaway lines. Like, they're set in such a way that you almost think that they don't really matter. But by the end of the movie, it's just like, oh, wow, holy shit, they really did say that and it's playing into this. So, like, when you have Fran the housekeeper talking about, like, her favorite Hallmark movie, and this is what happens. And then all of a sudden she segues into having a cousin that works at the toxicology uh, department. And boom, later in the movie, it's like, oh, holy shit, that line that was just said offhandedly was really important for what's going on. I, I think that's so smart. And this movie's really good at just taking things that you hear offhandedly and making it integral into the into the plot what do you guys think about that other than this couple other than those couple examples or that example in the really big one with the grandma Mm -hmm. i was wondering what else you saw like that not so much just the lines but the other things and i can't really can you know talk about the offhanded lines because i was sitting next to a chatterbox the whole time so (laughs) So, uh, another big one that you hear in here, one that I mentioned was, in watching it a second time, you do pick up these things. Like, this movie rewards watching it multiple times. Mm-hmm. because. Agree. You, the second time you watch it, you know exactly what's going to happen. So, watching it through a second time, you hear all of these little hidden clues. That truck is so loud. But you hear all of these little hidden clues, and you're like, wow, that was a really nice touch. So, there's a part where, where Harlan and Marta are playing uh, Go, and um, he starts talking about theatrics and how his family couldn't tell the difference between a theatrical knife and a real knife if it stabbed them in the back or something like that, right? And there's this very pivotal scene at the end of the movie. They have almost this this Game of Thrones-esque throne that's surrounded by knives. And at the end of the movie, spoilers, we always get here, guys. You got Ransom who grabs a knife and tries to kill Marta. He grabs a knife. All of those knives are staged knives. And it's just one of those things that, like, it was established early in the movie, and if you paid attention, like, even watching it the first time, maybe you saw it coming, maybe it was like, oh my gosh, yeah, okay, that's what's supposed to happen. But they establish it first off in the movie, so that it doesn't feel like it's just inserted in there out of nowhere. Well, and I think that that got built upon a little bit, too. I know exactly what you're talking about. So he says something along the lines of, and this is Harlan, he says, talking about Ransom, he's a lot like me. He's confident and also not smart enough to know the difference between a prop knife and a real knife. And then that kind of gets built upon when we learn that Ransom was his research assistant for the summer. So I think you commented on this is like, Ransom knows all these intricacies and this like strategic way of thinking. So... I feel yeah. like they kind of lay out the pieces of, like, when that moment finally happened, it just kind of made sense. You 100%. Know? And with Harlan being, like, a mystery writer where you have these mysterious deaths and stuff, for Ransom to be the character, again, spoilers, that kind of orchestrated this whole thing, it all makes sense that it would be him, considering he helped Harlan out in creating his books for a summer. And I get it. Like, a summer's not a long time. But being in the presence of someone who writes these books all the time, all the time, for him to be able to hatch a plot kind of on a whim. Although I do, 
and this will be a dislike that I have. Like, the fact that he can come up with this plot kind of like that. It's pretty quick. Was really quick and kind of unbelievable. And not even kind of, like, really unbelievable. <laughs> but this is the type of movie, right? Um, Side but, note, though. Research assistant for our murder writer. Dream job. No question about it. Yeah? I would sign up in a second. You just want to figure out how to murder people? Yeah. <laughs> Create that mystery. <laughs> Keep everyone on their toes. That's what I'm talking about. I'm telling you. Make weapons out of ice. But no, <laughs> there's no weapon. They'll never know. Exactly. It's perfect. So I did read another fun piece of trivia, and someone said, if the detectives had read the journal of Harlan, they would have had a much better idea of what happened, because he writes down, when he's talking to Marta, he says, oh, that'd be a great way to kill someone if you accidentally switch the morphine and the saline or whatever the benign medication was yeah it was yeah, some... just the whole note like he writes the whole yeah oh, this, is a, this is gonna be my next book basically right so if they had read that it would have been like oh all right guess we know what happened <laughs> i didn't even think right about i didn't that. either until i saw it online but that's amazing that really just comes to the ineptitude of the police in this movie <laughs> i know they're not they're they're not portrayed in the best light, I will say. They're pretty bungling, but it's okay. These police officers are idiots. <laughs> I know, but they're entertaining. Like, the guy, I think I said to you, I was like, yo, he just, like, got way too excited about this, like, plot hole that's happening. Or, like, this, like, hidden window that he recognized from a book. And, like, yeah. it was just kind oh, of Oh, that guy loves everything about it. He's just a super yeah. fan. Yeah, he was so, a fangirl. Fan so, Did you say fan girl? Sorry. Yeah. I'm a girl, okay? Did you just <laughs> Shout out to the ladies! <laughs> <laughs> well, fangirling, I think, is a term. So is fanboying. Okay, so then he was a fanboy. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> he Don't was a fan. Don't put us under a thumb. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was fun to see the, the difference between those two. Like, every detective kind of had their own shtick. So, yeah. that added some color to it, for sure. This movie is anything but, like, it It has nothing but personality in it. Like, every character is full of personality. Uh, I don't mean to hog talking right now. T, what is something you liked or did not like about this movie? Well, I think from a, if you're looking at it from a holistic perspective of a movie, I just thought that in terms of the set design, the casting, I think it was nominated for Best Screenplay for an Academy Award. Um, and the plot, it just really hit, checked all the boxes for me. So I can't remember such a, like, comprehensive viewing experience. Um, and I'm the kind of person that loves, like, visual aesthetics. Oh, Oh, true. You're not wrong. Uh, like, design, um, materials, textures, things like that. So one of the fun things for me was just, like, putting myself in this house and looking at all the old, like, movie posters that are, like, for murder mystery novels, um, looking at all the or, like um, oriental designs and decorations. So um, I thought that was just a fun part because the setting is such a huge part of this movie. It would not be the same thing if you weren't in that house. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things I enjoyed, um, especially the second time around. You don't have to, you know, necessarily pay attention to the plot as much. You kind of look for other details. Um, so I loved that part of it. But it was weird, though, when they kind of stepped outside of that setting, um, like when they're in downtown Boston, and it just kind of felt almost like a different movie, you know, when they stepped outside of that house. Sure. Mitch, what'd you think? (laughs) Oh, God. You're the worst director ever. Who, me? Yeah, you. Okay, well, nobody would have ever noticed that if you did not say anything. I'm trying to keep this smooth, and you're like, 
You're worse than me in breaking the fourth wall, motherfucker. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciated all the, definitely all the shots, and then finding out that they actually filmed it in Massachusetts was cool. How'd you like seeing the stadies? Oh, so one thing I noticed, because I work around a lot of cops now, yeah, because they do some of our details, is that their license plate, throw an S in there. So when you look at like any movie, I bet any movie that's filmed in Massachusetts with a state trooper vehicle, it'll say, it'll have a number, a number, and then an S, and then a number for stage. Oh, is that, like, that's just to dis- distinguish it from other vehicles? Like from like, yeah, vehicles? from real cop, yeah. Oh, oh what? That's a cool little trivia that Smart. literally only Massachusetts people will ever pick up on. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true, but that's what it, that made sense to me. I tell you what, if sometimes if sometime next week I'm out driving and there's a statey that pulls up behind me, if there's an S in their license plate, I'm fucking gunning it. Do it. Just <laughs> uh, where you, where are you filming today, bud? <laughs> Listen, I have it on good authority that you're a fucking fraud. <laughs> yeah, feel free to use this in court if, if you get pulled over. And <laughs> uh, according to Nerdy Thursday, episode one fourteen, uh, thirty minutes into the show, he said that you're a big fat phony. <laughs> oh my god, Mitch, Goodness. what is that? Another thing that you uh, liked or disliked about this movie? Hmm. And feel feel free to get in depth about it since I gotta grab another beer and we've talked for like eight minutes without you. Oh, that's cool. No, um, <laughs> what? Uh, another thing I noticed about Blanc, if we're gonna, I think we could really harp on this guy for most of it because he's I think in every shot basically. So this movie kind of pivots whether or not you enjoyed that character, where. Like you said, he's listening to his headphones and he's singing and an ambulance pulls up behind him and he has no fucking idea until, like, the siren hits. But another example of that is when they're looking at the, um, what do you call it, whatever she climbed, like the dress hole? The trellis? To that secret, yeah. Yeah, to that secret window. And the dog runs over with the piece of it and then she throws it <laughs> in his peripheral yes! vision. That was a great and moment. You're like, he's fucking... Blind as a bat. He can be... Well, he can be... He's, like, almost... Have you ever met someone who's just, like, selective hearing? It's almost like he's... What's that? (laughs) There you go. Perfect example. Okay, fuck you. Uh, Well, he's almost, like, selective visual... Like, selective seeing, you know? It's like, okay, you find out at the end of the movie that he knew she was involved immediately by a drop of blood on her shoe... But he doesn't realize something like that's going on. He's so entranced in something else. I don't yeah. know. I thought that that added an element of just like, okay, well, let's see where this goes. Well, and I think too, I he was he was purposefully withholding information because that's a way to extract other pieces of information. So I'm wondering if he didn't necessarily lead on about everything or acted in a certain way to almost be like a red herring in that sense mm. where it's like people didn't take him seriously even though he had probably figured most of it out at that point so something I, to consider i think that he was a brilliant character and that i feel like he really did play 
a detective um, or a private eye or whatever in the perfect way in that, yeah, you don't reveal anything. Like, he was very stone-faced through everything, even though he might have different information. And it's one of those, at the end of the movie, it is very Sherlock-esque where he's just like, well, let me tell you, this is exactly how this happened. Blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, holy fuck. Okay, yeah. Way to put those pieces together, because that's amazing. Um, and you're right in that he really did, you know, hold stuff back to really for the big reveal. Uh, and I think that was awesome. See, the, I think I figured out what my gripe is of why this movie's okay. Okay, dude, go into it. Because it's put under the genre of mystery comedy. Sure. And I didn't really laugh that much. I didn't laugh it could that just much be, either. It could really just be mystery. But they put the comedy tag on there, and I expected it to be funnier. I cannot argue with you. I cannot argue with you. I, I don't think we laughed out loud at all during it, but it's. I feel like it's very light-hearted kind of and that it doesn't ever feel too serious i mean there's a lot of it's very dark humor i think and that i don't know what you're well holding, no you're i was just gonna that. say there were two parts i agree with you that it's it's pretty light-hearted but there were two parts that were kind of jarring and it kind of like brought you out of this like flighty like murder mystery one is when he slit his throat spoiler sorry <sighs> oh in front yeah. of Marta, that really kind of shocked me a little bit. Oh, when you it comes back up. around? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first time and the second time, I was like, holy shit, did he just do that? Like, You were like, this I is going to scar her for life. Right, and you were like, well, what's better than like getting a bunch of money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a trade-off. So it was that moment, and then the moment when Walt kind of like corners her in the hallway... Um, after oh, they yeah. announced super he was, rapey he was so rapey i thought he was gonna pull a sword out of his cane and some like hagrid style shit and like flay her but i did like that scene because that's kind of where we see her establish a backbone i would say mm-hmm. so that's when she's really like oh well good thing I- he gave me all these resources so i can figure it out for myself you know she didn't really bow to like his yeah. his intimidation yeah. but those two scenes for me i was just like I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not fun. I think you're you right. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, to flip the coin, you said you didn't laugh out loud. Me and Caitlin almost peed our pants at one point. Like when he si- what? I was going to say, let's get there in a second, because I just I want to comment on that, and I feel like you can segue with this. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, I actually... So I thought those scenes were super uncomfortable, but I did kind of appreciate the scenes with like Walt and like the whole family turning on her because it was such a contrast with the earlier beginnings of the movie where he died and everyone in the family is like, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you. And as soon as you learn that Marta's going to get this inheritance, everybody's just out to fuck her and like, you know, screw her over in some way or get her to renounce this inheritance. And it was just like the contrast between the beginning half and the second half of the movie, I thought were really awesome. So that's just something I wanted to bring up. Uh, before I pass it back to you. Alright. Yeah, but no, uh, to still stay on that, like, the definitely the Walt scene. Like, those are scenes that really sucked me in. And I'm like, ooh, good, this is the good mystery part. Like, we're getting into some serious stuff. And then, like, I, for, I forget the scene right after that, but then, like, something else would happen that was a little bit goofy. Like, not comedy, but, like, goofy. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? 
I'm back out. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Do you have anything particular in mind for the Goofy or for that? Well, I already said, like, when she threw that and he completely missed it. That was that was super almost Three Stooges-esque. Yeah. Well, and I, I think another moment was when they're they're retracing their footsteps on the property, and they, she keeps walking. Marta sees that she's left her footsteps there from the night before, and she, in her head, you can see her, like, calculating, oh, shit, these are my footsteps, you're gonna see this, so she purposely walks ahead to, like, basically make the crime scene, like, you know, you can't take anything from it, and then Blanc calls back to her, and she's like, what?! What? And then she just walks back and forth, and he's just like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And that's actually a really good point because at the the end of the movie, when she says, "When did you realize I had something to do with this?" and he says, "Well, the moment you first stepped foot into the office," and looks down at her foot, and it's like, "Okay, so if you knew from the beginning she had something to do with it, how was that a not a, not a red flag that?" She pretended to not hear you, and that was the most blatant, like, pretend shit ever. <laughs> I she thought it was funny, though. She, I thought it was funny, <laughs> it was. too. I laughed at that. But it was one of those, like, if we're going to break it down a little bit and analyze it, it's one of those, okay, well, that's just in there for laughs and does kind of take away from the mystery-esque nature of this movie and taking it credible. Yeah, so one well, other yeah. thing, yeah, one other thing that happened before that, which is kind of a loose end, is... Um, when they're with the groundskeeper and they look at the video, you can clearly see him slap a picture of the old estate on the fridge with a magnet. And when Marta takes the copy of the video, you can see that she has the magnet in her pocket. Like, she's going to destroy the tape, so you can't see it. But we never saw what happened with that. Interesting. And I They thought say that that later like, on. Do they? The, okay. The, the tape's all scrambly. Gotcha. Okay, so she used the magnet to scramble it? Yeah. Yeah, because, because he says something about... Right. scrambling it with a magnet yeah like that's what he does with the old tapes yep okay it makes so sense. she's like oh, i'm gonna grab a magnet and then slips it in her pocket sure. ends up with the the tape because she pulled it out i think and then just lets it sit there mm-hmm. yeah but then one of the detectives said yeah there was nothing on there it was all scrambly uh, okay i must have missed that so i do want to segue a little bit uh it's Hold so on. E- okay you, you, more? you cut me off earlier Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. I was saying, because we had those serious scenes, and I was going to say on the other side of the coin, Caitlin and I almost peed our pants one time because somebody said that they didn't didn't really... You guys didn't really laugh out loud. Yeah. But when he first starts, like... it's So they're all in the library, and they're talking, and it kind of starts cutting through the interviews. And Jamie Lee Curtis is all like... You're never going to get our family to talk about family issues. What we have to deal with is what we have to deal with. This and, <laughs> and that. Then, and, and then husband. it switches to her husband, and he's like, he doesn't run shit. <laughs> you did laugh at that. I remember I did this. laugh at that. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, that was good. We almost Don, beat our pants. Don Johnson in this movie Dojo. was fucking amazing. Like, he, he was so good. And that's actually when I was about to say... To cut away from it's so easy to focus on Benoit and Marta, when I think the whole supporting cast of the family was incredible, and I just wanted to see what you guys thought about the family. So I thought Joni yeah. was hilarious because Joni she is, a is bitch. like classic Instagram influencer. You kind of want to punch her in the face a little bit. No one knows why she's there, but she is. And when she called him blank, it just made me laugh 
a lot because you can just tell that she's just like not really aware of anything um so i thought she was funny and i think that tony collette did a good job with that role um she really kind of got into it but i also uh grand nana how can you not love her i mean she just chills she eats cake she looks like a the fuck what? did i call her a tamale a tamale she looked like a goddamn <laughs> that grandmother looked like a fucking tamale <laughs> like it. do you see her face like all she needed was like the color of a corn stalk on her face, and she would have been a fucking Mexican dinner. I swear to God. Oh my goodness. Now, see, for the supporting cast, I think the kids were amazing. Yes. And then the grandkids were kind of like, not even needed. Like, it was just an extra, like, this is why we're using the money, like, mm-hmm. sort of step, yeah. except for Ransom. Okay. I, I think, um, I thought one of the best characters was the little Nazi grandson. That <laughs> was masturbating in the bathroom the whole night? <laughs> yeah. Just because it had a lot of really memorable lines. I mean, okay, maybe not that memorable because I can't remember them verbatim, but it had a lot of lines that made me chuckle because it's one of those like, okay, of course, you being the dad wall of this little alt-right Nazi motherfucker <laughs> will be like, well, what do you mean? Like, aren't you a fucked up kid? It's just like, well, your kid's a fucking Nazi, man. So, what cracks me up is, um, so a lot of Hollywood is really, really left, right? Yeah, yeah. But they threw in this alt-right crazy Nazi character. <laughs> and if you just look at that kid's face, having to call her an anchor baby, he yes. can't handle it. Like, I was like, did you see how uncomfortable he just was? <laughs> like, I want to go back just to watch that one scene and, like, just see that kid's face. Because, oh, like, it even, like, kind of, like, gets caught in his throat when he's yeah. saying it. <laughs> and, like, in it, with these the sub-characters, I love the fact, like, I love the subplots that are kind of woven into this story that create, and the thing is, is it creates way more mystery than it needs to. Just because it's literally red herring after red herring after red herring of problem that Harlan has with kid, problem that Harlan has with kid, cutting him off, this, that, another thing. That just makes it more of a fleshed out movie. And I'm just curious as to what you guys think about it. I think it could have been a very linear movie if they wanted it to. Because they eventually you go through the entire part like the entire movie from start to finish is there which could be really condensed but it would be super boring so having it broken up into those different little sections i think makes it a million times better than if they had tried to just do like a whole follow blanc like Mm -hmm. or like show everything beforehand Yeah, well, and I think it's fun, too, because when you watch these movies, I think the viewer wants to piece it together just as much as the people in the movie want to piece it together. So by the way that it's edited and things are kind of chopped up, like you said, I think it makes for a much more, like, intriguing viewing experience in general. Because you're trying to put the timelines together. You're trying to figure out when things happened. You don't know you've seen everything, but you suspect that there's something else that happened, you know, pretty close to the same time. Like, we didn't know that... Um, Ransom came back into the house at all until the very end of the movie. We just thought that Marta climbed the trellis. So Well, except for when Grandma gives it away. Mm-hmm. But you just kind of play it off as a, she's just old and crazy. Right. Yeah, so that's another example of a throwaway line, but it's it becomes really important at the end when you realize that he did indeed come back. Ransom came back 
um, after he formulated this grand plan uh, to basically swap the medicine and free Marta. So. Yeah, that was so great. Like in the breakdown of exactly what happened, like calling into that was so great at the end of the movie, and it just made more so much more impactful by the fact that literally she says like three fucking lines through the movie, and it's just it's so fantastic. And anything else that was said was said off of camera to make everything that she said on camera more impactful. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was pretty great. Uh, did you so, guys talk? I was gone for like two seconds. Did you guys talk about the affair angle? No. No. But I did have a question for you before we even get into that. Let's go, boys. Because I, I just thought about it, and we kind of got towards, like, we've talked about the end a little bit and, like, hitting at it. Yeah. But since this is a mystery movie, as soon as it was over, I played some Animal Crossing and then went to bed. <laughs> but when I got up to bed, <laughs> Caleb's <Got him>. like, <laughs> Caleb's like, so throughout the whole movie, who did you think it was? <laughs> because you like you know how it like keeps building up. Yeah, yeah. She's like, are you leaning in a direction of who it is? I, I like, uh, was like, that a question to us? Well, yeah, but she asked me, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I I feel like, like it gives you those. I think it's like you know I like to say this, but like every fifteen minutes, it gives you that turn to be like. Well, who is going to be? You know what I mean? So, like, for this 15 minutes, you think it's this person. For the next 15 minutes, you think it's this person. So, we ended up... We, we've we seen this twice, because we watched this in theaters mm-hmm. when it came out. And uh, I, honestly... I So, I kind of have a different point of view on this. I think we talked about it after we saw it the first time. And that, like, this movie doesn't really... All it really does is try to push you in the direction that it's telling you that it's Ransom pretty much the entire time. And, like, if... I mean, it's almost going into the tropes of mystery books where somebody's name can even give it away. Like, having a name, Hugh Ransom. Mm -hmm. Like, and everybody knows him as Ransom. Like, that's already a red flag that you should pay attention and he is one of those characters that is least involved in the story so you automatically start to think if you're like into mystery like okay what's going on here and it like i don't know it i feel like this movie really pushes you to think that it's him the whole time and when you get about halfway through the movie it's like okay you know he did it but what's going to be the payoff here? Like, what's the rest of this movie? Because I felt like I knew it was Ransom very early on. And then once you know that, it's like, okay, well, I feel like that was deliberate. And me knowing this, so where do they go from here? And for me, I thought they did a really good job of them setting up him. You know it's him, but what's the payoff here? And I thought the payoff was really what made the movie for me. And I thought it was really good outside of what I mentioned earlier. And the fact that he came up with this plan on a short drive after he got cut out of the will, like that's really for me, the only big loophole in this movie and that like, okay, he's really fucking smart, I guess maybe for some dude that hasn't worked a day in his life outside of being, being an intern. Um, I don't know. That's just my thoughts. What about you, T? Well, so I think that's interesting because the fact that you say that his payoff wasn't clear, I think they do a very good job of establishing what the payoff is for everybody else in the movie. So when the executor is reading the will, 
they cut to the shot of every person that's directly tied to that part of the will. So, like, when it comes to the house, they cut to Linda and Richard because they're involved in real estate. When it comes to, like, the cash assets, they cut to um, Meg and Joni because they're the ones that rely on him for tuition payments and whatnot. Um, when they when they uh, talk about the publishing house, they cut to Walt. So I think they do a good job of establishing, like, what everyone's, like, drivers are and you're right it's not clear what ransoms is at first and i think that's why it's good to run with that because it's like everyone else kind of has showed their cards already you know what they care about you know what they want out of this inheritance so and i just think the fact that he cuts his throat like what before the first half of the movie it just shows that 15 minutes into right so it just shows that the writing and like the intricacy of this screenplay is just i don't know entertaining and just kind of fun to watch play out yeah it's interesting to take a something as complex because mystery books are always so complex. How are you going to take 300 pages and have you go from page one to page 300 and have somebody not figure it out and turn that into a screenplay? I think that's that's a talent that I, I mean, Ryan Johnson did an incredible job directing this movie. Um, and I'm not sure who did the screenplay on this, but I mean, killer job. Uh, but that's just my thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Mitch, who is your favorite one of the kids? Uh, and it can't be Joni because she's a lying bitch. <laughs> she wasn't my favorite. I, I'm just saying uh, she, it can't be her. She's just she's a teat sucking bitch. Does Richard count? <laughs> Richard counts. Yeah, Richard. Richard count. counts. Yeah. He's still married in. You can call Dojo your favorite. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so incredible. And not only. Is it just so I could segue into what Sean wanted to talk about earlier? But he really was. Incredible. Like, like somebody's got to press. Like, in in movies, every time there's a will reading, there's somebody who is, like, being that kind of asshole. And I think he kind of was. And, like, not being, like you know, a part of the family, like being married into the family. I thought it was funny that it was him. And he designed a prenup, I- so would that even count? Like, would <laughs> yeah, he get exactly, anything yeah, anyway? exactly, right? <laughs> he, but he that was segues so- into a, the affair you wanted to talk to. I mean, he was so brash in everything to begin with. Like, he was the one... Okay, he was like the one guy in there, and, and like, everybody had balls when it came come when it came to conflicting with family, but he yeah, was, like, the come. one with balls to, like, move shit forward, you know? Like, everybody could bicker, but he was one to just call everybody out and just be like, fuck you guys, let's fucking get to where we need to go. And I thought Nothing. that was incredible. And I, I personally, uh, getting into the affair angle, I, I thought that that whole arc was really awesome. And being someone who loved, like, mystery shit as a kid and, like, getting into Invisible Ink and, like, with that being the uh, the reveal at the end, it was like, this is fantastic. And, of course, this is what exactly what would happen. You've got a mystery writer with a kid who would write notes to his kid using Invisible Ink that, of course, 50 years later would throw off her husband on a note that he wrote telling her that her husband was fucking cheating on her. I see the excitement in your face. That was awesome! I thought it was such a cool reveal! Because you get, like, halfway through, and you're like, oh, it's really just an empty letter 
And then she just likes throws a zipple underneath it. It's like, holy shit, there's lemon juice on that. I thought that was okay. a really endearing moment, actually. I loved that a lot. Scream Queen, first of all, she's a legend. But um, as someone who's really close to my dad, I feel like I can relate to that sense of like, you have a very special bond with them and you know things that people might not know. So that moment was really cool. And I think when she found out about the affair, she was kind of like, well, fuck you, guess I'm on to the next thing. Like, I don't need you. So I liked that moment. I thought it was pretty fun. Well, like you've said, go back to the beginning of the movie. And I think it's the second, like, line of the entire movie where she goes, you have to, in order to be able to talk to dad, you had to be able to play his game. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. They have rules set up. So these yes. two have just, like, if it was something important, they would give it to each other in invisible ink. Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I can write this down. It'll be gone. But I can give it to him. He'll heat it up. He'll read it. And I love that this is something that they established as when she was a kid, this was something they did when she was younger, and it's something that still happens to this day for stuff that's important. Like, it's established at the end of the movie while she's looking through the notes, and you can see that it's one of those, like, heated up, uh, kind of disappearing ink appeared kind of things, and you see that, and you're like, oh, shit, this guy's so fucking toast. Because as soon as she sees that letter... It lights up. But this brings us into another thing. We have, like, the whole story of uh, Richard trying to find that letter and throwing the baseball out the window. Okay. This is so brilliant. This is brilliant in the fact that he is an outsider in the fact that, okay, everybody else who's a part of the family probably knows that that baseball is going to be in his office. So if they see that baseball anywhere other than his office, they're going to bring it back there and maybe find something incriminating. And I think that that is a fantastic way to get past, you know, to get into her finding that letter. And it's That's literally the out. only thing. Fuck that baseball. Fuck that baseball if that's the are only you, thing. Are you serious? Fuck that's a, that. What, that's what I got from that, and that was the perfect... Uh, what is it, Deus, Deus Machina or whatever for that point. But it worked so well because it's a family that knows that this is where the baseball is supposed to be. And that was how she found the letter. So pissed. Why? Wait, what did you think about that the baseball? Beforehand? That baseball has no fucking point. That was what I thought. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. I was like, that's so stupid. Wait, and so now that I gave you a reason for it, you hate it even more? Yeah! <laughs> that it's going to be that obvious? Fuck I that baseball. It, I explained that to you I yesterday, know, you did, too. You did point that out. I was like, what's going on with this baseball? Like, I don't know what the deal is. Like, that was the yeah, whole because there wasn't a deal. There was a deal! Like, this is a close enough family that they would know his office and know that the ball's supposed to be there. Like, why would the ball be outside? She wouldn't have found the letter if it weren't for the baseball. Yeah, somebody had to have thrown the baseball outside. Still stupid. It's a fucking mystery movie, man. This is how because this shit they, works. Because the the baseball shows up like eight times. It's not like she was outside. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. It's not like she was outside. She lit that up and kind of was like, huh. And like looked over and... Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember how she got it. It's stupid. Oh, my God. The dog had it when they were, when Marta was going to apologize to everybody at the very end before they read the tox report. It was oh, in yeah. the dog's yeah, mouth, yeah. and then she took it. Yeah. Okay. 
can we play a little game called Who's the Shittiest Kid? Okay? I, I, on a count of three, I just want us to all say who the shittiest <laughs> oh. kid is. Y'all ready for this? Okay, yeah. ready? Three, two, one, Walt. Joni. Meg. Are you fucking... Meg's not even a kid! She's the oh, grandkid! she's a kid. I don't even know her. Go. Get out of here. Okay, bye. 36 feet. She agrees with me, then. Up. Her and I picked the same family branch. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what's interesting? What's interesting about Meg to me is that in the beginning, I think that she's like a very like neutral character, and I think one could argue that she's not like the rest of her family. Like she doesn't seem like she's totally money driven. She doesn't. She seems pretty grounded. Whatever. But that is my the second implication. Chuckle. But once once the will is read and Joni explains to her that she's not going to be able to go to school anymore, maybe you can see this like visible change in Meg's face when she's like, "Oh shit, I have a stake in this too," and it affects me directly. So maybe I'm more open to calling Marta and asking her like what her plan is or like what I think she should do. So I think that the fact that she went from like such a strong character to being like, "Well, if I can't go to school anymore, then." Join them. I might compromise my morals. I guess I am part of this family. So. Yeah, how's your social justice warrior degree going? <laughs> oh, that was so good. <laughs> Especially because they just called out Smith. <laughs> uh, pretty good. Uh, I was in tears. <laughs> uh, I really, in like hearing that, really it makes me think of literally every one of his kids is a gigantic pile of shit. Like, maybe outside of... Maybe outside of... What the hell's her name's character? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Linda. Like, Linda, I think, is, like, the least shitty character. Like, and she's only shitty in the fact that she's very no-nonsense mm-hmm. and very, like, like, no bullshit, you know? And, like, that can become, that can come off as abrasive, whereas, like, literally everybody else is a piece of shit in that family. You know what's really going to bother you about Linda? I don't want to hear it. Nope. It sounds like you didn't make this fucking connection. Apparently not. That character is completely based on Trump. She's a real estate mogul who made her, bit, like, every oh, off a million dollar loan from her dad. Uh, I did not even notice that. Wow! I did not pick up on that. Wow. Okay. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say there. Make Thursdays great again. And what's crazy is that, like, even now, knowing that, looking back, she's still the least shitty of the kids. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, how were the, the other siblings fucking worse than her? Like, and that's not even politically based. That's just literally <laughs> looking at this at face value of what they did. It's just like, well, to be I fair, mean, she's not that bad. To be fair, we never met. To Neil. be fair, R.I.P. Neil. She watches that show. I, I do. It's a great show. But we never Everybody met Neil, Joni's husband. So he could be better than all of them, and we just don't know. Well, he's dead as fuck, so yeah, it don't matter. Yeah, that's that. That's why he's the best. <laughs> not because he's, he's dead. <laughs> he was he too good to be around them. That's what I'm trying to say. But if he married Joni, then his judgment to me is probably questionable. I don't know. Personal opinion, but there it is. All right. 
Overall thought on the plot, guys, let's go. Let's start with T. I think it's pretty seamless. I think they do a really good job of tying up all the loose ends, um, and it's just kind of fun to watch it unfold as you go. So I, I think they did a really nice job. Mitch, what about you? So you said that your one big gripe is Ransom driving away from the car, and or like in the car, and getting like that like quick idea. Well, I'm going to go back and kill that motherfucker. Whatever. You don't know how long he's been planning that. And, like, this is kind of just the breaking point. Because maybe he never left that mentality of being his assistant or researcher. Because throughout throughout the whole movie, one of my favorite things was just, like, the postcards above his, like, desk. And, like, you don't know what's on those for the next mystery that you know, Ransom might have helped, and even if it wasn't the specific medications and exactly knowing, like, the doses or whatever, switching medications is gonna fuck somebody up. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if he opens that journal to a specific, already idea of medicine murder that uh, we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, like, it could have been something as easy as that is why he thought of it which seems to be that quick as he leaves the party. Sure. But as you move through the movie and we follow Marta through all these steps and all these things that she did and like even the things he told her to do cuz I think one of my favorite scenes is when it jumps back and she comes down in the bathrobe. Cuz it he came down for a midnight snack and like and <laughs> go back to bed, dad. And he just turns around, and I was like, that is so pointless. Why Why do that? So but then you find off. out, yeah, that it, so you get the payoff. But, like, then as you go through the whole thing, and you get to the end where it's Ransom, and they're showing him, like, him doing all these things, when he jumps over those rocks, it was crazy to see how they just went through that entire line, I'd say three, four times, and I didn't get tired of seeing the same locations and people doing the same actions through there. Exactly. What do you got to say, Sean? I'm going to say I, I thought that this was – I thought it was brilliantly done. And honestly, I got to say that uh, Ransom was a brilliant character um, and that you can you can tell that he's a very, very smart person um, in almost every aspect of the character from – you know, that scene where T mentioned that Marta was walking through the mud. When it cuts to him pulling up and the dog's barking, he's walking on the stone, like the stone wall, instead of walking in the mud. Like, that's fucking brilliant. Like, that is such a subtle touch that they didn't have to put into this movie, but they did. It was such a great attention to detail. Um, I think that his ability to adapt on the fly and realize like in the diner scene when he realizes when Marta's telling him everything that happened that he what he did didn't like she didn't kill him and so he had yeah. to adapt on the fly like I thought that was fucking brilliant I thought that was an awesome tie-in at the end because you see it like in that diner scene it's just like oh okay so you know he has something to do with it and he's just like hmm what am I going to do? And he makes it work in that. So I thought that that was great. Uh, this movie just really does a great job of tying it up in a nice, neat little bow and doing it visually in such a way that everything that you see is 
rather believable. I mean, obviously you have a couple of things where it's just like, oh, well, this is a laughable moment. You can't take this character seriously in this moment. But when you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, I think it's a very concise movie and I, and I really love it. Um, so I want to, I want to get into ratings. You guys ready? Sure. Okay. T. Are, are you, okay, are my, you, my are scale you, is... No, no, I'm going to ask you. Okay. I'm asking you first. <laughs> okay. Hold up. And then you have to ask me. Yeah, so I'm okay. asking you. Okay. You're asking Mitch. Mitch is asking me. Okay. T, on a scale of one to a bowl full of milliliters of morphine. Did I take yours? <laughs> no, it was in contention, though. Oh, okay. Get wrecked. On a scale of one to a bowl of milliliters of morphine, how many milliliters of morphine would you get this movie? Again, everybody who's new... Especially T. This is on a scale of one to twenty-seven. I would give it a twenty-four. Twenty-four milliliters of morphine. That sounds like a good time. Is there a reason why? Do you have a explanation to this as to why you give no, it that rating? No, I, I just think it's like I said before. I think it really just covers all the bases of a good cast, good production design, good screenplay, good plot, um, and I think it's just entertaining to watch. I think it's a testament if you can watch it multiple times. And still notice things that you didn't notice before, little Easter eggs, things like that. So I think that that says a lot in terms of how I rate a movie. Perfect. All right, Mitch, on a scale of 1 to 27. To a bowl. To a bowl. One to, to a bowl of to a bowl. 27 ghost stones. How do you rate this movie? That's good. So, that's a good fucking scale. Thank you. <laughs> hey. to a one, hey. one of scale bo- gallstones. Gallstones, yeah. not gallstones. That would not be fun. whatever. The game that they were playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> good fucking scale. I would give this. Uh. I'd I'd go twenty three gallstones. Okay. Out of a bowl. That's pretty generous. Yeah. You got a you got a backup for that. Well, I'm just gonna say I I still think it's in the wrong genre. Uh, why Daniel Craig had to do his best (laughs) Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. Uh, like I've been thinking about it all day. It makes no sense. Do you feel? I I feel I feel like I'm angry about the accent that he he was doing. Like I was like, which documentaries has he been watching? Like I feel like the only thing he watched was House of Cards to learn that accent. Honestly, God, like I really, I really could not place that accent until she said that. I think it's based on something though. It's it's got to no be way that he didn't do. Research it's based on, on Gaffney. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> do you think that America works? If it was classified as just a mystery instead of mystery comedy. So you just got to put the sludge in your mouth and not move your <laughs> lower jaw so much. Yo, everybody, we got Daniel Craig on this fucking episode. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, I thought I was a special guest, but Daniel Craig can't hold a candle to God that. Damn. Pop another <laughs> beer because we got another guest. <laughs> so, Sean. Mitch. On a scale... Of one to a bowl of knives neatly decorated above a chair. So, how many knives neatly decorated above a chair would you give this movie? 
You, you know, um, describing how the scale worked earlier, I used the cop-out of how many knives surrounding a chair would you give this as an example. It's true. You took my cop-out example. <laughs> no, it was close to that. I'm going to give this 24 knives surrounding a chair. Um, I, I found this to be delightful. This is, this is something that I would... Uh, and I explain this to a lot of people. I don't watch a lot of movies because I actually read a lot of books. Uh, this is something I wish that I read. Like, this is something, if I read it, like, I would have an absolute blast. And the fact that I got to watch it and experience it was just even so much better. And so I think that 24 uh, out of a bowl of knives surrounding a chair would be perfect. I don't know how you found... I don't know how we realized what my picture for the episode was going to be, but Daniel Craig surrounded by knives sitting in the chair is the the fucking show out. Or the show show art. Oh, wow. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Well, and it's perfect for Daniel Craig because it's a knife donut, and he always could talk about donuts. Always. It's perfect. Always. That made me laugh. I was like, yep, you you can't have a chocolate glazed inside of a regular donut. (laughs) Although that's a business idea, a donut inside of a donut. Hey, what if what if you Shark had a donut head. inside of a an eclair? Ooh, like you, you got awful. the you got the light crunch, and then you got like dense. The, the the dense glazed crunch yep. with cream. No, no, I would eat that. Yo, I'd rather have like four donuts surrounded in a skinny eclair. Also good, also good. Is we we can all have it the right way now? we want. <sighs> you guys ready no. to wrap this up? This was a lot of fun. Let's yeah, wrap go this ahead up and do like it. a box of donuts. T, thank you for joining us. I want to give a quick shout out. Colorbreakfast.bandcamp.com. He just had a new album that came out on 420, which was just a couple of days ago. Check out his Bandcamp. That's so cool. He's also GlitchCat7 over on Twitch. Fucking awesome. Brian Betts, thanks for the website. You can find him over at Caped Podcasters. They're doing a lot of really cool shit. Uh, you know also is you know who else is doing a lot of cool shit? I am. Between here and Animal Talking with Kyle Collins from Experience Grind, we're doing an awesome show. We're alternating weeks. Maybe we'll have our own feed, but we're getting rather... Who would have thought that Animal Crossing podcast would be pretty popular? Well, check that shit out. That's awesome. But if you want more stuff from us, find us at uh, facebook.com slash nerdythursday, twitch. Uh, not twitch twitter.com slash nerdy thursday but you can also find us over at patreon.com slash nerdy thursday i do want to thank a couple of people for some things that are coming in i want to thank shane davis thank you for the increase uh zeus laser thank you for the incredible increase that's fucking crazy and also ryan walters thank you so much for the new patreon uh subscription we did miss this last week but i'm glad that we're able to shout you guys out this week uh if you do want to support us again that is patreon.com slash nerdy thursday every dollar goes a long way we really appreciate it so thank you guys so much for your support mitch it's going a long way to the bank right now Goddamn right because because you (laughs) Because you can't buy show beers. Yeah, we're, we're not there to enjoy them. You know what? If you don't have anything to do with your stimulus check, I do know a place that you can go, and that's nerdy thir- patreon.com slash nerdy thursday. Hit it up! Let's go, boys! There you go. Mitch, anything else you want to shout out real quick? <gasps> Is it our phone number that no- nobody checks? 
413-418-0076. Goddamn right. Uh, do you know how we close out? Nope. Well, Shall it's we? going to be, we're going to, uh, we're going to launch into a keep it nerdy. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. Okay, guys. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. And until next week, keep, keep it, it nerdy. Yow! Yeah, I, I did it just like the old Southern draw again. <laughs> I got a few so bad. <laughs> in 1952, the world was a darker place. There were only six days in the week, not seven like we know today. And everybody walked around wearing clothes that were painted gray. And they were sad almost all the time. Yeah, they were. And back in 1952, there were six days in the week. You could never know which day was the one for you. But I do. In 1965, somebody became alive And they had a great idea to make a brand new day It was called Nerdy Thursday And it was a day for all the people across the world Who played d and Magic the Gathering And had LAN parties And it was their very own day for them The world was big and cruel Cold and gray and sad But Nerdy Thursday came up and made everybody glad Because after that they had a whole lot more stuff to do with their minds And they left the gray old square world behind Nerdy Thursday, you're the man, I hope you be my friend So you say you got a stinger, huh? Oh, I got a stinger. What do you got for us? It's a chunky one. It's chunky. It's chunky. Like chunky peanut butter? No, like a chunky sweater. A chunky sweater. Okay, where are you going with this? So Ransom's white chunky knit sweater has garnered a lot. In the diner? (gasps) Chef kiss. Chef kiss, 100%. Has garnered a lot of attention. And the company that has a very similar style called Woolen Mills, it's an Irish company, has seen sales increase by 150%. For a very similar sweater style. Since this movie came out. Since this movie came out. It's pretty fucking huge. And apparently someone hosted a sweaters only viewing party of Knives Out, and I'm a little jealous. Wait, sweaters only? What the fuck? Like everybody wears sweaters. sweaters. Okay. If you watch this movie, the sweater game is on point. So not great for the springtime, but... Did I not mention... You did. In the last couple of movies that we've watched, how much I appreciate... The fucking style. Chef kiss. A fucking man. Chef kiss style. Right there.